Hello and welcome to Think Like a Game Designer. I'm your host, Justin Gary. In this podcast, I'll be having conversations with brilliant game designers from across the industry with a goal of finding universal principles that anyone can apply in their creative life. You can find episodes and more at thinklikeagamedesigner.com. In today's episode, I speak with Alan Fan. Alan is one of the creators of the incredibly successful Grand Archive TCG that seemed to come out of nowhere and raise almost a million dollars on Kickstarter. I was lucky enough to get connected to Alan uh, through a mutual friend, and he had a bunch of questions and things because he has never made a trading card game before. He and his friends were just magic players and anime enthusiasts who were excited about the genre and wanted to make something new. And boy, did they ever succeed at that. So I was committed to bringing him on the podcast to start digging through and finding out what happened, what were the keys to his success? How did he go from having no community to having a successful community that brought in a million dollars in you know, just a few short months of when he started reaching out. So we we dig in to his background, to the story, to how it all worked, to how he built his community, to what he's facing now and the challenges and what really goes behind the scenes when you see a small team of people getting a million dollars in and, and, and the grind that really comes in from that. Uh, the whole story we get into on this podcast. And it's really great to get to highlight this because I spend a lot of time talking to people who've been doing this forever and have huge amounts of experience and have lessons from decades. And so this was a great story to be able to tell of a team that maybe just like a lot of you out there where you love games, you're passionate about it, uh, you don't know how you can kind of take it to the next level and maybe create a thing that you've been dreaming about for a while. And so so I want to share the success story and the ups and downs and the lessons that come from it. And it's uh, really great to get to talk to Alan. He clearly has a, a good heart and is really trying to build something that, that he would love as a player, which is, I think, so important. So there's a lot to dig in here, and I'll end the intro and let you hear Alan Fan. Hello and welcome. I am here with Alan Fan. Alan, I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. Hey, uh, pleasure, pleasure, uh, pleasure to be here. It's really exciting. So, you know, happy to be here, Justin. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, to sort of give some context, I, you know, you first came on my radar. I saw your Kickstarter for the Grand Archive TCG and was blown away. You guys raised nearly a million dollars on Kickstarter, presumably even more uh, after the fact. And I'd never heard of you before, and that is very rare. I feel like I know most people that make TCGs in the, you know, especially at that scale. And, uh, and I was like, who are these guys? And I, I kind of wasn't able to really figure it out. And, uh, I just sort of put it out of mind. And unfortunately we got connected, um, uh, through, uh, a mutual friend that sort of connected us and you had some questions. And once I heard more about you and learned more about you and your story, I was immediately like, okay, I have to get you on the podcast. I have to share these insights because from what I can tell your story flies in the face of every piece of advice I give people uh, in so many ways. And so I really wanted to be able to highlight it and, uh, you know, pull out some lessons and some, some maybe some counterintuitive truths or things that I'm I'm not aware of. Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of the precursor to get people kind of hyped and excited. So so why don't you, you, you kind of start when introducing yourself a little bit and your own origin story and, and what got you to, to this crazy level of success that you have now? Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, I'd be happy to talk about myself a little bit, and you know, it's it's a pleasure being here. Um, you know, finding out like you know who you are too was like you know a big shocker. I was like, oh, 
yeah, this our, our mutual friend kind of like put us together and i was like wait this is actually great because you know i you were part of the research that you know that uh, when we were forming our campaign idea uh one of your projects is like you know one of the ones that we were you know doing the research on so you know it's really great to be here um it's like about me uh basically i am like the project manager slash like um i do a lot of the business development for grand archive and you know putting us out on like kickstarter it's like one of the things that I, my major project that i had worked on whenever uh, we got things kind of rolling uh long story short like you know um uh, i am a you know computer scientist you know i was i studied computer science this was like a passion project that my friends and i kind of started um biggest thing was like we kind of recognized the trend of you know kickstarter you know putting a tcg out on there and we kind of thought that you know what I think we can make something like, you know, really quality. Let's put some time and effort, you know, some of our own money into it. Um, this idea that we've had like on the back burner for a while, uh, we've always kind of wanted to do our TCG and then, you know, now here we are. So I think uh, whatever sort of questions you have, I'm you know happy to answer it. Yeah. Oh, so. I got, I got a bunch. Don't you worry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so look, there's plenty of people. I guarantee it. There are thousands of people that are listening to this right now that are, have had a similar moment to what you've had, right? You and your friends, you're passionate about TCGs, but you've got other careers and you're like, man, I really think we could make a great TCG or I have this problem with this TCG or I really think this should happen. But very, very, very few people are ever going to go to that next step and actually get the thing done, let alone, you know, launch a, a successful Kickstarter. Maybe tell me a story about that moment, right? What, what was the moment where you really felt like, no, no, this is something we can do. And, and what, you know, how did you even figure out how to get started? Yeah, I mean, well, so that, that takes us like way back. So, I mean, like, uh, my friend and I, our common passion is that we love um, games, uh, game development, uh, game design. It's like uh, basically his big thing. And he's always talked to me about, you know, um, yeah, having an idea like, you know, let's, you know, let's make a game. And then we were just like, you know, I think like we could do something like really cool and you know we tried it out and then the more that i had thought about it i guess it's like my inner desire to like you know do something like you know you always kind of want to do like something greater than yourself right like you know make like a big project or anything it was just like you know why not put 100 percent into it just it, life's like life's a big gamble right so you, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take and that kind of spurred the spark and we just put in the effort again i think we got really lucky like you know luck is a big part of it we entered in the market kind of like at the right time and then that's like kind of what contributed like you know to the success there uh yeah i don't know I, if i'm I rambling mean, any, i might have missed any, no no it's fine any i'm gonna i'm gonna keep peppering you with questions because i i want to i, I want to dig deep so you know a of course you know any level of anytime anybody succeeds at a super high level luck is a part of it right but there's right. I, I'll, I'll say the same for for many aspects of my success it's just but there's also huge amounts of preparation mindset mm -hmm. uh, and hard work that are are prerequisites to to being lucky quote unquote um yeah and so one aspect obviously you know you kind of gave that that wayne gretzky quote which i love about you know you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take and you took a mindset of you know look it, yeah you the risk of doing this and failing is far less than the risk of never trying right never never really right. doing something that you're excited about and passionate about and that's something i really just always want to underscore for people like i know what that feels like both when i quit law school to become a game designer when i quit my job as a game designer start my own company and launch my own projects every time it was terrifying and i kept thinking i was gonna you know 
what if I fail? But that flipping that around and saying, well, what if I never try, right? What if I don't ever do anything that like, I really make an effort to make something that stands the test of time or that I'm passionate about build a community. And so it's great that you had that attitude. Where do you think that came from? Because again, it's not common, right? Why do you, what do you, what do you think gave you that, that, where do you think that, that spark came from? Right. I mean, you know, for me personally, it's more of like, um, there, there are just some things in life that, you know, you'll never be satisfied with. And then that, um, we kind of, our biggest thing is that we love anime, right? I'm not, I'm not hiding that fact. I love anime, like Japanese, uh, you know, for people who don't know like what anime is, they're amazing. Like, you know, check it out. They're Japanese, like animations, like similar to, uh, you know, people in the U S could call them like cartoons, you know, whatever. Um, but they're like these like animated shows that explore different worlds and stories, you know, things like beyond our, like, you know, wildest imaginations. And it's just like, we wanted to have some piece of that some way. And then it would, like you said, like it, it's the, the risk, like, you know, the, uh, the risk of not being a part of it to me is more detrimental than not, you know, like, you know, they're like never trying and not knowing what it's worth, like no knowing the feeling of like, you know, trying for something that you're passionate about. It's like, I couldn't ever imagine like living my life that way. Right. So, um, biggest part, like, like put that spark under us is like, we want to make something bigger than just the card game one day. And that this was like a part of it. And if we never do this, we'll never get anywhere close to like what our dreams are. So it's just, that's, that was the main driver for like what kind of started the project off, uh, having just like by having a like an anime card game that like doesn't exist right now there wasn't one there was one that like you know they're not very like like very good i, I would say in terms of like you know organized play community like no one's like you know there's nothing going on like you know why not just do it ourselves and you know have something that we can be proud of that is part of the things that you know that a part of the world that we love so you know that's kind of like what started everything yeah so so you're you're passionate about anime you love tcgs you don't find in the market there's no good anime tcgs and or they don't have all the features that you're looking for so you start working on it uh and then where what what does that look like you're you're hanging out and playtesting with your friends or you're, you're you and your partner you're recruiting other people in your community like at what point do you decide you know you're working on the game and you start saying okay yeah we're really we're really making this yeah i mean it was it, it basically came down to we were, we were you know obviously we had some other ideas you know that were bad and we like we like scrapped it the most important thing was like is it fun like right like the most important part was like one, it does it does not it doesn't have to be just an anime card game. Like it's it is a TCG that is fun and that you would play with your friends. You would invite over to your house and have fun. And it was like the one night that my friends and I, uh, you know, we were just running through idea at our local shop. You know, we were we printed out some uh, like proxies. Just you know, we were, we were just taking um, like you know like just taking out, out different ideas that we had and we're testing them out. And eventually we came across one that was like, wait, I want to play this again, like a lot. And it was at that moment that we were like, this game is like really fun to us. You know, like we kept trying out, we, we really loved it. And we had some other friends play it and they're like, Hey, you know what? This is actually like really a cool idea. And 
I think we kind of got, we kind of became in love with it, like the idea of like, you know, this game's a lot of fun and we want to, you know, maybe that's when we kind of decided like, let's, let's try to take it like, you know, to the next step, you know, if we think it's fun, then, um, even while looking at it objectively, of course, like, you know, but you know, there's always going to be some bias or there's always bias in these things, but like, we were like, yeah, like, let's just, let's just, let's just try it. I mean, this game's a lot of fun and we want to keep playing. Right. So hopefully other sure. people feel the same way. Yeah. Well, having a good core experience is the most important thing, right? If the game's not fun. All the rest of it is going to fall apart. You can put all the work in it you want. So that's definitely, you know, you're speaking, yeah. you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir on that one here. Um, but often before somebody is going to go launch a Kickstarter on a project, even if the game is fun, I, mm-hmm very strongly advise they spend a good amount of time it will either like first try to work with a partner or publisher or somebody else that has experience so you can learn that way or at the very least spend a lot of time building your audience right build a community that you then you add value to and then over time and then you can launch a kickstarter and and sell to them but as far as i recall i could tell that i didn't you know i hadn't heard about you guys before and certainly what what but what did you do to build that community or what do you think contributed to the success of your kickstarter in this case yeah so when we came to like kickstarter and we put up like like a website for our game and we're kind of getting things off the ground i think um we did oddly enough we ran like a couple of facebook ads to like just kind of get the site promoted just to test things out a little bit and uh we've worked on like you know different like projects of the past and we were kind of using like our old experiences obviously like things that i've learned from my internships and then from other mentors that i've had in the past uh i used to do like uh, i was in business school at one point and then one of the things i like you know my mentor told me and the things that i've learned from him you know uh, about business we, we were just testing out like a lot of different things do you mind being um, a little bit more specific with that because you know this is one area where i always try to I was trying to dig out where people's superpowers are, right? And and your yeah, background sure. here seems like it's coming. You said you've got these great lessons from your mentor, or things you picked up from business school. A lot of game designers have none of that access to none of that stuff. So, what what maybe you know, kind of top two or three lessons come to mind that you were able to apply here that 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 helped you succeed? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the biggest lessons that I learned from my time there was if. I was like risk management and then looking at your, you know, obviously if things are worth it and, you know, a lot of it I learned like it's part of like just luck and uh, learning how to also manage your cash flow and like your, uh, the amount of income that we had at the time, obviously we we're paying for everything out of pocket. So, I mean, it was like things like that, that ended up like attributing to like the decisions that we made. Um, if we felt bad about losing $20, then you probably like should think about how bad it would feel if you know, you didn't spend that money. It's like, things like that, that ended up attributing to like, uh, the decisions that we made, like overall, in the end, I didn't spend very long in business school. So I don't really have like, um, you know, any well, like, super big lessons. But I guess I like, think that I got from my mentors was like, they were always into like they they believed in their ideas and they believed like with anything like you know do a lot of great research there's a lot of great projects out there um some way or another you learn to learn lessons from like other people who are also doing great things i mean 
I, 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 I'm not sure if I'm like answering the question. Well, directly, so so let me, know. let me try to reflect back here what I'm hearing. So just to sort of tease out the principles. So one on one level, um, you understanding, uh, risk management. What I hear from that is that you, you know, you set aside budgets, you're, you know, that you can't guarantee success or return on an investment. And so you expect to spend some budget making educated guesses about what's going to work and what isn't. And then you measure those returns and then see what happens. And if you could find something that gives a good return, great, double down. If you find something that doesn't, you don't let that like stop you from experimenting yeah. because that's part of the process. Does that kind of yeah. summarize a little bit what, you know, yeah, you put it in a way more eloquent way than me. I'm sorry, I'm not like the super no, no, the best no. with this stuff. But it's yeah, fine. But. That's the fun. That's the fun of the podcast, right? I, it's it's it's. I know that there's you know you're sharing gold here, and I uh, I <laughs> want to help to dig it out. You know, um, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, did you have a budget in mind? Like, when you, did you guys commit to a budget up front and kind of spec it out, or was it just kind of a let's see how it goes? Did it did that was that what, what, what was the, you don't, you know, you can give specifics if you want, but I just want to understand if it was like in principle where you were on that, uh, on how, yeah. you're, how much you were spending here. Yeah. So, I mean, the important thing for us was like, uh, I can't exactly remember how much we were you know spending, but I know for a fact that if it's like, since we were paying things like out of pocket, if I couldn't contribute, I would make it very clear. Also communication, like with your team is the most, was some of the most important things that you could have for any sort of project to be successful. Right. I think that's a given. Um, and whenever I couldn't contribute something, I made sure the team know that this amount of money was too much for me at this time. And just being realistic, if you, you shouldn't put yourself in a place where you could end up in like, uh, you know, in a bad financial situation where you can't recover. Mm-hmm. I think, um, that's part of that, like that risk management thing, but you know, the amount of, so you I would judge it. You would more. judge it as it, as you went. What you were able to spend, knowing you were never going to put yourself at risk of bankruptcy or anything like that. But you would kind of just as you go, be like, okay, I can spend another couple thousand dollars here, a couple hundred dollars here, or whatever it was at scale. Yeah, you exactly. Would, you would kind of keep right. assessing as you went along. Right. Okay. So I mean, at this, I mean, the point in time that my friend, who is a bit more, was more successfully, like financially successful than I was, he was willing to put in the money as long as I put in the work. Right. So. As long as we both we were both working on it, and if you know we needed to do something that was a little bit more costly, you know he was able to be like uh, able to do so in that way, or like he was like you know we wanted yeah. like prototypes printed, or um, you know we needed like you know maybe some uh, for our, especially for like the the UI like on your cards, right? Like you, we wanted to like have like you know what if we make it look really nice, test out different designs, and that's kind of the things that you know we were like, oh wow, these look great, like. You know, we love this, we love that. And then, uh, I mean, that that was something that was like attributing to like our success there, right? We weren't, some of us were in better financial positions where we could, you know, take risk and feel okay about it. You right. Know, if we if we didn't make the money back on it, it was something that, you know, nobody was going to suffer from. Um, yeah. You were, yeah, you, that, you only, only put in the, in the middle what you're willing to lose, right? The, uh, uh, and, and so, because I, when you talk about risk management, right, that I don't, I didn't go to business school, but I, I, I did, you know, play pro poker for a little while and I studied poker theory and I found mm-hmm. poker theory to be incredibly valuable when it came to business risk management assessment, right? You never know 
any given bet you can lose, right? But you you want mm-hmm. if you consistently put money in on bets where you, the odds are in your favor, eventually you're going to win. So long as you don't run out of money, so you got to manage your bankroll and you've got to be able to like yeah. assess properly which bets make sense. And when you know you, the odds are in your favor and you're pretty confident, you're never 100, percent but you're pretty confident. Then you you really push as much as you can afford. Um, mm-hmm. So when it comes to this communication, you mentioned the importance of communication with your team, and you've mentioned that you have a, a friend who is kind of your main partner. How many how many people are we talking about when you say team at this stage? Yeah, so at this stage, we're looking at about five people. There's, there's uh, we have our, you know, our, we, we give each other, we don't really have titles, but we have our art director, I'm the project manager, uh, my friend with the biggest financial com- contribution, um, he's also like the CEO of the company, and then um, we have a also, another uh, marketing guy. Uh, he does like you know manages all the sort of like products, like the additional products that we're having, like you know posters, things like that. He gets those done and gets us out to events and stuff. And then we have another game designer, uh, one who's like more dedicated just to doing game design. But in the end, everyone works on the game design, right? We all share our oh, feedback. Yeah. Communication is key, and like being a small team, you know. You can't, we don't really have the capital to like, you know, realistically say that, you know, to pay somebody and be like, hey, you can spend your life doing this. We'll support you and like, you know, your family, whatever. Um, We're not at that point yet. So, you know, everyone kind of understands like where the company is at at this point that everything is kind of for. We've all kind of like reinvested like any sort of money that we could have made into, into, into the company, which is like what we felt like was smarter. But yeah, no, it's, end, it's, yeah, important, it's important. Team. It's important a, to highlight a couple of these things, right? One, uh, this is 100% true. It's still true for me to this day, right? We have a small team. I keep it small and we have, you know, everybody kind of does a little bit of everything still. You know, people have mm-hmm. clear roles and responsibilities, but but everybody contributes and, and that that as everybody's pulling together towards a common goal. It's also really important to highlight you just mentioned like for most people listening when i said hey you guys did a million dollar kickstarter in people's heads you're just rolling in dough and you've got your yacht on the beach you know by the beach and everything's going great right and it is so far from the truth right it's so like yeah. you know you're you you there's so much that goes into it, especially for a team like yours where you've never done anything like this before the logistics the cost the the, the management to do it like it's not easy and it's a very very expensive process to deliver on all those promises that you know because in, in it's not like you have the million dollars and it's, and it's done it's the million dollars is a commitment to get it done uh and so mm-hmm. i i think it's worth really highlighting that for people i mean i i, I lost money on on my my first kickstarter was half a million dollars and i lost i almost lost my whole company because of it because it cost so much to make uh what we actually promised uh so i learned a lot of those lessons the hard way and it's part of real, why we first started talking is i wanted to help help you learn those lessons a little cheaper. yeah uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah, obviously i was like um oh i'm sorry i didn't mean no, to no, cut go ahead. you off there you go ahead yeah yeah i was i was saying like you know uh i felt like there was a lot of Initially, like there was a lot of feedback, like online, people were saying that you know these guys are you know they could scam you, they could run away with the money, and that's a part of the risk. And like it was it was crazy to me because I was doing research, and when I was doing research, there were some projects that I was like, wow, like you know this is really crazy. They've raised a lot of money, where you know I, I'm not sure like if I would put my my own money into this. Like this looks like a little suspicious to me. And then you know a month later, here we are. Like uh, people were saying the same thing about us, and I was like, oh man. Um, but 
you know, doing these things like take a lot of money and a lot of time and like commitment. And that one thing that we we kind of said that was just something that we had already known. And what was more important for us was the amount of money that we can make, like uh, off of Kickstarter, was to make sure that we weren't going to give any empty promises. So anything that we put out on Kickstarter, we knew that you know we would be able to deliver. If we couldn't deliver it, then we wouldn't really offer it. Uh, being realistic with your goals was like we had realistic with our goals was like the most important thing um for us uh getting in over our heads is something that we want to avoid at all costs and you know yeah doing your oh. research and like trying to avoid that is super so, important so important yeah so doing that tons of research you mentioned you researched a lot of other kickstarters you researched the production process you researched your place in the market you've tested research on and on different advertising um mm-hmm. as well uh so a lot of that stuff's just so critical again this 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 overnight success from a lot of people's perspectives is not is anything but overnight uh those those principles are really important to highlight uh and so you there's a lot of threads I could pull on here, but I, I'm most intrigued in your. So you're you're te- you have some background in in internet marketing, or somebody on your team does, right? To to be testing Facebook ads primarily, is that right? Yeah, yeah, but I don't I don't think they're super difficult. I mean, obviously, like there's uh, a lot that goes into it, but you know, we were testing out just like what we had available to us. Like I, you can start on Facebook, like you know, either your business suite and go and try to test ads like from there. Um, putting in like different sort of keywords, like things that people search up. It's a, uh, so it wasn't anything that, you know, we were experts in, but somebody had to do it. Right. So. Yeah. And then, and so this is before the campaign starts. So you're just driving traffic to your website or to a pre sign up page or something. Yeah. Well, it's, it was to our discord. So the, um, at the, at the time we had like a website up, uh, we did a little bit of ads. So the, some people saw the ad, joined the discord and, Oddly enough, like this is like sort of where I think I attribute luck to is it's like one person kind of joined, saw that the game was really interesting, had a you know a brief conversation uh, with us, and was like, you know what, I think I'll bring my friends into it, and then you know word of mouth ended up spreading. Um, we kind of went like a little bit viral in like the trading card like community, and a lot of people ended up joining the server that day, and then you know we weren't we weren't really prepared for it, but you know we did, did the best that we could. So, um, so what does what does what does viral look like here? Like where when you say viral in the community, what does that mean in reality? What are the specific sites or groups that right. came in? Yeah, I mean, in the like, I would say like the trading card like community people who have been like interested in the recent like in like Flesh and Blood, Magic the Gathering. Um, I think it just happened to be like somebody who was also interested in those things. Like that's kind of like what the keywords like we kind of ran for, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, in like uh what i mean by viral we went from having about zero people in the server like or four people like you know my team like the only people in there um into probably like i think like 600 like within i would say probably like uh like the span of like two hours or so wow more and more yeah more and more people kept joining and then um you know, you know, friends bringing in other friends and then bigger groups bringing in like bigger groups. And it, it really grew like exponentially. Um, so it, that was like on on Discord. And, you know, we really got caught off guard with that. Like, you know, we, we I could check like maybe our numbers right now is insane. While you're looking that up, I'm just going to just going to react uh, 
that so jumping to 600 like that in hours is so that i mean that shows a level of traction that is i've never even heard of i mean we have a stone blade discord that we started up well, about two years ago now a year and a half or right, right you know kind of started the pandemic actually because it was our main now mm-hmm. new mechanism to actually talk to people and um it's got i don't know a couple thousand people in it today like so we're not even even i'm sure you got you guys must have eclipsed us by leaps and bounds at this point i so i'm really curious uh you know you know you said luck but uh you can maybe share some of the specific numbers if you're able to see them but then i i'd love to to get dive deeper into what what resonated with people is it is it that core premise of an anime tcg is there something else specific about what your message was that was like when people joined they said oh i'm here because of this right and so speak of the numbers a little bit right now we're sitting about about 1400 people in the server Mm. so in total with like a currently we have about like maybe like 500 online at a time um and i think like the one thing that people always said when they joined the server was like oh these cards look really good so the initial website that we have or at grandarchivepcg.com uh we had done like um you know we put like some initial cards that we had created some of like the the things that you know we were like okay we would be proud showing this even if it's the prototype and it looks really good our um our mvp the our minimum viable product was um something that we looked at and we're like okay we could be proud of this is this was like if somebody saw us like online or playing at the store with cards that looked like this we would be okay and so when we put it out on there um i think more people are also interested in anime than like um they have been in the past so once people saw it they were like you know i really love how these cards look they kind of fit the bill of an anime card game in the west uh, there yeah. are, there have been anime card games in the east but not everybody loves the way that those games play compared to like, you know, what we're used to over here in the West with like Magic the Gathering and, um, you know, yeah. uh, Flesh and Blood and like those types of games and stuff, right? So that's like, I think what's also like had attributed to our, our virality. I think we met like a really, we found a really nice niche in like the market um, that we were kind of aware of and we weren't really aware of how much traction and how much how interested that would make people at the time so yeah yeah okay so so you you know one of the things you guys have a deep long-standing love for many many years of both anime and you know magic and games of that genre of tcgs and so you're able to bring that passion together right and i have to talk about creativity as just being the combining of two different things in a way that hasn't happened before and so western style tcgs that are clean and easy to pick up with anime style visuals that are executed well and you guys brought that together you now now so now the puzzle pieces are starting to come together for me a little bit because you know you know you test some marketing and then you see this viral traction right because i always i caution people against trying to buy users it can be valuable right it can be and and you guys hit that secret mm-hmm. sauce but but when you you know spending some money to buy users who then bring in other people and and bring that virality that that is a great trait and that's a great sign for success where i could see that as like okay yeah we're probably in a good place to run a to run a kickstarter at this point uh which i imagine your enthusiasm level jumped pretty dramatically once you saw those numbers uh yeah i mean i was i I mean like i said like um, you know as much as like you know we knew about the market and that we knew that you know there's probably a lot of people online that like would really like something like this uh we never expected it's like you know like 
people get caught up with like you know thousands and like the like you know ten thousands and like the amount of users. But you never have like just like six hundred people trying to talk to you all at once. Uh-huh. Right? And that's like that that at that moment we were like, I I think you know like this is way bigger than like what we could have like gotten. And you know like um, especially in, in our for our Kickstarter, right? I'll share this. Uh, whenever we were. Um, we obviously knew like how kind of Kickstarter works and based on like all the research that I did, it was like, you kind of set a low goal and hope you go like really far over it. And that's great for like your page or the algorithm, like whatever, um, things that you are aware of that are like important to success. Right. So we were only, we were hoping at least like we we set a goal for 50,000 to obviously hope to make more than that because you need a lot of money to obviously make things to make something like this, to make a project like you mentioned for Soulforge, like you made, you did about like five hundred thousand dollars, which is like, it, it was it was, almost wasn't enough. It almost put you guys like, uh, it, it, making the product itself and delivering on everything could have almost like put you out of business. So we knew like there was a lot of risk in like doing something like that, especially if you deliver on a goal without you know really meeting like what the actual goal that you needed. Um, you know, we so we, I don't know, like the people were crazy at that point like we didn't expect to go to i think we broke like a kickstarter record i think we went for for a trading card game we raised over five hundred thousand dollars i think like or no no it's like fifty thousand dollars like within the first like uh oh man i can't remember i'm sorry uh it was it was okay, some, your, your your numbers are clearly impressive here you know <laughs> we already it was uh, it was it was some yeah. crazy number that you know it like these weren't things that we'd ever like expected. Like you can't expect things like this is like what I'm trying to get at. And so oh, it was like, well, and so this is the thing that's really interesting to me too, because you just, it's not actually that many backers, right? I mean, it's, it's a decent right. number, 1500 backers, right? So people gave a lot of money to the campaign. And, and right. so now that we've, we've talked about kind of, now I have a pretty good picture of like how you got your users and what the core principle was of the, the you know the core premise and and the pitch for the game and why why people came in so now i'd love to shift to like what do you think pushed people to go so deep into the game and and kind of contribute i cannot do the math on top of my head but a very very high amount per per user uh bigger than almost anything i think i've seen uh in the space yeah. <clears throat> so you know when making a tcg like it's a trading card game a lot of people collect these games and you know stuff like that right um i spent like a lot of time at lgs i even worked uh at one and so one of the things i noticed like i think what attributed to is like people probably spend more money than you think like on collectibles like the collectibles market there's an obvious boom and increase ever since like COVID happened oddly enough um you know people were seeing the prices like prices of like old things that uh like uh, I would say, a great example is probably like Pokemon cards and stuff, right? So like they're they have these old cards, they need money. Um, someone at some point in time probably told them it was worth something. So when they try to go sell it, um, it was worth a lot of money, like way more than they thought. So more and more people realize that that attributes to like you know a lot of other people being like, man, I wish I got into that earlier. And I think a lot of those feelings and those. Uh, things kind of attributed to like how much like people were spending on uh, our campaign. So I hope uh, most of the people that were spending a lot, I think, probably felt like they'd rather invest into the game, 
and the game looks fun. The project looks good. I'd rather invest into it now. If I lose this money and this campaign doesn't happen or like, you know, the Kickstarter doesn't go through, then at least I lost out on this much instead of losing out on the potential game they could have gotten later. Yeah, the and FOMO is real. FOMO is real. Yeah. So like it's I think a lot of those feelings attributed to like, you know, why Kickstarter TCGs are doing so well. A lot of people are worrying that they might miss out on the next big thing. And, um, you know, we can only we, we consistently try to improve like our product, like making the game better. How can we make this the best to make these people feel like they got their value back and not only in a fun game, but in uh, how can we make this popular and uh, one thing that we always commit, like, like we always think about is like, how can we make this game popular enough to not only give it some collectible value, you know, people buying and selling cards, singles on the market and opening product and while making a game that is also really fun, right? I mean, it's just yeah. like one of the things that we knew was like, you know, there, there had to be a business behind the fun game itself. So we knew that, you know, we made some like things that we noticed from like old trends that we've noticed in like magic, the gathering, like things that they moved away to things that we personally didn't really like was also like something that we kind of made like decisions on. So like, um, foils, like for example, like I think almost all the current card games, you are guaranteed a foil in every pack that you opened. And then one of the things that, uh, my friend and I personally loved was like, when you got a foil, Back in the day, it was really exciting. It was it was really really cool, like you know, to get a foil in in, uh, in addition to your other cards. And if you got like the highest rarity foil, that was like the the jackpot. And then everyone got excited. Like in the LGS, I remember like when people opened boxes, like we would have like a great time, just like seeing what everybody was able to get and like uh, what foils were pulled. If somebody pulled something crazy, everything was really like. Uh, like hype i guess and then we kind of wanted to bring that back so in the end like we made the game more collectible which is also like i think why people invested more in the kickstarter too so you know yeah they're so also making that, their collectible investment yeah I, i'm so I'm, I'm excited to dig into a few things there one just sort of the uh kind of underscore the counterintuitive thing for a lot of people about how well tcgs and collectibles have done during covid right in a certain sense you know, you can't get together and play with people or you couldn't for, for, for a very long time and still can't in many mm -hmm. regions to play TCGs. So you'd think, well, these are not going to be doing as well. You know, organized play was shut down, everything. But uh, the exact opposite has happened, right? Magic has had its biggest year is it ever. It's grown like 35% something year over year. I think they reported nearly a billion dollars in revenue. Uh, that includes mm -hmm. the digital version, but it's insane. Uh, the, uh, you know, things like, I think games like... Uh, Flesh and Blood would not have nearly had the level of like insanity and initial burst of collectability and pricing and everything if not for this trend uh, and seeing the you know Pokemon cards and everything go up. So so you guys I think did get to capitalize on that trend in a certain degree. But I, I want to dig into the the again the specifics of the choices that you made um, because you mentioned you know have making foils more rare and harder to get. Uh, you have, I think, uh, a, a rarity reports that you're giving you, you where you, you know, you give people the exact concrete number of how much uh, of any given card exists and how many products are being printed, which I don't think anybody really does or I've never heard of. 
uh, or certainly, uh, so what, uh, what, what drove you to, to pick, you know, for those other items or, or, or what other things do you think are, are other people should be thinking about when they're, if they're thinking about making their own TCG, you know, you have like, or artist sign cards and other cool things. Like, what do you think is, is, uh, is, is good tips or what's worked well, uh, in that space to really drive rarity and collection as the, as an excitement element, as a fun game in many ways in and of itself, uh, which is often not, you know, my, my default mode is always like, okay, well, I want the game to be fun. And yes, opening packs and discovering things is part of the fun, but, but you guys really seem to, to, to dial in on that in a way I haven't seen in a while. Yeah. I mean, like, so the question is like, what, what can people learn? Like to, you know, when making like something more collectible, like how to like, you know, to make the, well, not like compromising anything like of their game, right? Uh, from right. What, it's what I was hearing. So one of the things that was important to us was like, you know, competitive play and like being like, obviously my favorite experience was like going to like, you know, uh, I don't think they call these anymore, just like GPs like back in the day and, um, and for like Magic the Gathering. So mm-hmm. you wouldn't really want to lose to somebody who has like a card that is only available in one way. It was also really hard to attain, but it's also very powerful. Right. So mm-hmm. the most important thing for, I think for anyone who's like trying to make their game more collectible is to not sacrifice your competitive integrity and to, to don't sacrifice the game's integrity. Don't make it things hard to get because, and, and also very powerful. I think a lot of people kind of miss that fact. Like if you lock somebody out, behind a giant paywall eventually people are going to really really be upset and not enjoy your game and also hate you and that's not good yeah, in my so opinion doesn't seem good people don't, opinion, like, their, don't like your game and hate you that does seem like a bad outcome but so, I, yeah. I, if I, you're with you like if your goal is to make a fun game that um people want that people will continue to play if you're I see it is that if you are doing so, if somebody is doing something in that way, you are more interested in the dollar amount that you could get back. Like the amount of revenue that you can make back by creating something like that. And then if you realize that, my opinion is that other people will probably also realize the same thing that you realize. So, you know, it really depends on your message that you want. Like the, what we wanted to remind people of was just like, kind of like the good old days and the memories that we had of like growing up opening like these um like you know you know i i just thought it'd be really cool we thought it'd be really cool if like we had signed cards we also thought like oh why not know what number card that you have like um you have the first copy like ever printed you know like see because we have serialized cards right so one of the decisions making that was just like it doesn't sacrifice the game's you know integrity and it also is something that we would have wanted and something that um was cool and doesn't sacrifice uh you know yeah it, it doesn't really it, it doesn't make the game unfun right so, uh, that's, so that's when you say it. you're serialized you're just talking about your your super rare cards being serialized here not all of them right or does does every card have a this is the ten thousand yeah version of this we're talking about like the the big ticket like item so like our collector rare where it has the artist um unique uh signed card also with like yeah. the uh serialized number on there right and got it it was just something that we felt like maybe the market was missing like uh, we didn't really know like you know why people weren't doing it like why magic wasn't doing it why flesh and blood didn't do it and so we were just like why not we would like it why not yeah. why don't we do it you know 
Yeah, no, it's funny that you mentioned that because this is another thing we encountered with SoulForge Fusion because um, we're actually, you know, we're digitally printing every single deck as a unique one-of-a-kind thing uh, with the way we're printing mm -hmm. it. And so we actually took, ex we did exactly this thing, but every single deck that you ever receive is numbered. So the, all of them tell you like which version of this it is, which deck number it was that was printed. And so there's like this thing was impossible to do with traditional printing, which we were pretty excited about uh, to be able to do. So you can actually know which deck in the print run, which cards you have uh, compared to everybody else. So it's a really cool feature, which again, we all had the same reaction you did. It's, it's like neat to know. It doesn't impact gameplay. It doesn't, but it's like kind of cool to know, hey, I got the first version of this ever made, or I got the you know first version of this particular card that was ever printed. Uh, or whatever right, yeah. the hundredth. So that's very cool. Yeah, it's, it was just like one of the things that, you know, over time I, I continue to notice, like, um, you know, for me it was important. My, my I, I attribute a lot of, like, the decision that we made to my time at an LGS. Like, I, you know, you, 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 don't, you maybe not notice it, but the, the shop clerk probably watches what you do more than, um, you know, more than you think. You're, we're not just checking you out. We're like, we noticed, I, I noticed a lot of things going in and out of the store what people were buying when i asked people how they felt about a product like you know you you make mental notes like over time like you you hear the a lot of common answers you hear a lot of things that people wish they had and it says that if we i think we paid enough attention to those things where we were like hey i think you know like i said like i think like the collector's things like a lot of other people kind of the like a serialized number a lot of people other were like oh yeah that's really cool i wish we had those things you know i wish we knew how many of these cards in print and then what would make it easier to sell, right? Like working uh, at an LGS doing the pricing, um, like, you know, when my coworkers are doing pricing, it's just like, it's nice to know how much of these actually exists and how much demand, like how many people are actually buying it. Like, uh, say for like, if it wasn't important, I don't think TCG player would probably tell you how much things are sold uh, for. And like, you can check like, this land, there's like a market price history, you know, the, these things that we probably didn't have like a long time ago. Like people now know, like, you know, there, there's like price histories and everything, conditions sold. Uh, you can see like what's really in demand and what people are wanting. Um, uh, speaking of like anime stuff, right? Like uh, before I mentioned, like our game was focused on anime. We'd also noticed like the really big moment that we noticed like we could really enter the market was like, Magic the Gathering kind of dipped their toes in that with um, sets like um, was it they um, I'm Strixhaven mm. the the Japanese set sold like hotcakes they like a lot of people bought into those cards so they love that art and they love like that Japanese like flavor and you know that's also like why like how why we felt we could enter the market at that time we just were always kind of like consistently watching these things and like gave our idea like more validation over time as well so i might have been i might be rambling at this point but yeah no 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 uh, it's great i mean i think that the you know also just learning more about your background like great right? working at a, at a at a game store and paying attention to the people that are around you and even for people out there that are you know whether you're working at a game store or you just spend time there really focusing on what is it that people are excited about what is it that people say consistently what's like oh if only i love this game but or man wouldn't it be cool if right and keeping your eyes open mm -hmm. and noting those things and ideally writing them down and you know so that over time when you're like oh hey now i could combine this idea with this idea and you know anime did really well and 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 is uh, anime people are, are fanatical collectors just like tcg players are fan fanatical collectors and so what could we do to make this more 
collectible and make the collectability fun again, right? That the, the process of opening packs and discovering things and hoping that you get the amazing, cool card being really exciting and fun, um, is, is a, an important other it's a whole other game you're designing in a lot of ways right in addition to the fun play of i actually have my deck and i'm playing my deck or i'm building my deck the the discovery and exploration is is one of the main reasons that people play trading card games and it's the thing that differentiates it from you know just a traditional fixed box kind of tabletop game yeah yeah i mean it was i don't know like you know the trading aspect is like one of the things that i loved because you also interact with like other people so i remember like nowadays it's like a lot of what i notice when i do like any sort of trade with anybody it's like foils are so overdone in a lot of games where they're like they're uh nowadays especially with like collectors like products there's like a lot of uh, like they were i go back to magic the gathering because we, we learned a lot of lessons you know from them they're like they've been around for a very long time right so i realize a lot of my like personal friends had didn't really like the um like the, some of the collectors products where it's like everything was foil or really shiny and it was really cool but you know it didn't really feel great when you felt like you had a rare card and once you kind of looked it up on the internet that your foil isn't really worth much anymore it's just a shiny piece of cardboard that probably a lot of other people have and i think that kind of ruins like the the fun of it like a uh, like I like I spoke before, like on uh, our experience, my 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 initial experiences with like opening, like you know, seeing people open like a foil and being really excited because it was it was rare, and the once you do away with that, then like the kind of a lot of the fun kind of like disappeared. So I I think that it's it's yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of great insights that you know the scarcity itself can be provide the value right a thing that seems cool at first if you get too much of it it's not 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 as cool and so you know a lot of people. You know, and and it's important to highlight that shift of like the scarcity for gameplay power is a big turnoff for a lot of players, myself certainly included. And uh, but scarcity for you know shiny show things off and cool new thing that you don't get to experience a lot or hopeful dream that you can find these cool one of a kind experiences uh, is is a great thing and is a net net positive for for players and and collectors alike. Um, it also means your game is more likely to attract more types of people and thus survive and, and extend further. Um, mm-hmm. So, so maybe we'll just shift then to talking about what's next for you guys. And what do you, what do you, you know, you're in the middle of of executing this process. Um, you're staying engaged with your community. There's still just a team of five of you. Is that is that still correct? Right. Yeah. The team of so, five right now. While we may seem like small, but it's just. Like I said, you know, promising to like dealing with like another employee is also to us something like being able to support their lives like as a as a business. You know, we would love to we, we couldn't really ask anybody like to quit their jobs and come do this with us. Like it's a trying to keep like, you know, like I said, like risk at at a very minimum. Like, we don't want to hurt the people that we care about or anybody that would come to like work for us, right? Um because it's risky. Startups are just risky in itself. And our sort of next big goals, obviously, is to, one, finish production of the product. Two, to focus down on, like, um, organized play while uh, working on, you know, the next couple of sets. So we have ideas for those already. But, you know, our biggest thing was uh, that people cared about a lot was organized play and that we really cared about, you know, 
having some sort of like competitive aspect to it. So we're trying to find like the best solution to that. Um, you know, we contacted a bunch of local game stores across like the U.S. Um, to kind of get them interested, show them that we care about their store and that they're we're, we're going to, um, you know, have a decent like tournament software. How are they going to be able to get players rewards? Uh, you know, you know what what are players going to be playing for? What what's where's the competitive aspect? What's happening? Um, and then after that, yeah, continue just to pump out a solid. Um, solid sets, not a lot of sets, but you know, a solid, um, you know, come up with like continue to make like unique uh, ideas. You know, yeah, maybe that's a little too a fun game at too the heart broad. Of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's not, it got, I got a little too broad there, maybe. But um, for our immediate, you know, plans. So I, speaking of like probably like the next like six months or so, that's what we're looking at. To, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's I mean, great. I'm 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 really eager to see the the progress and see how it all plays out. And of course, um, you know, it's it's just it's been great to see you get here. And I I appreciate you know how you look at this right a lot. Of, you know, being very you know you know hopeful and work hard, but be you know cautious and especially managing overhead. I know what that is like. And when you know, there's nothing worse than having to lay people off and I, you know, I've had to go through that. And it's really just one of the worst experiences I've ever, I've ever gone through. And I'm very, very conscious of making sure that we keep our overhead as low as possible to be able to deliver on what we need to deliver. And only when we're really, you know, confident and absolutely need more staff that we, uh, we staff up because it's, you know, you, you, those responsibilities are serious. So you're, you're taking, you know, people's, I, I don't, I don't really stress anymore about my own, life and ability to support myself but i very much stress about everybody on my team and making sure that they you know can feed their families and that they have you know some job security and so every time mm-hmm. i add someone new it's like an extra giant weight i put on my back and then i gotta carry around uh and so yeah. it's great and i'd love to have it but it but it's you're you've, you've had that insight early uh, earlier than i did uh so i i, I apologize for that yeah I, I yeah it's just i think um I think sometimes people forget that, you know, when you pay somebody to do a job or when you do anything, when you, you, when you work with somebody else, you're not working with just like, especially being on the internet, you're not, you're not working with, you, you can't, you can't forget that you're working with another person and that, um, games like, you know, t- trading card games while, you know, they're being collected and played. Remember that they're always being played by people. People build like without the people, nobody will you you can never succeed, right? So I think it's a support to never forget those things. And that's sort of philosophy, like the whole team has kind of carried that no matter what, at the end of the day, um we you need to you need to take care of yourself. You need to remember that you're doing like you're, you're being a proper human being. So it's just like, don't forget those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget to be human. That's a, that's a great place uh, to leave it. I think it's a, it's, it's, it's just one of the things that I know, you know, again, it's just from my lots of experience in the industry, right. It's, it's, it's all about how you treat people. And that's true for your coworkers. That's true for your employers, employees, and it's true for your communities, right? You're going to make mistakes. There's going to be challenges. And if you're good with people and communicative and take other people's interests and really care about others and, and try to serve others, then, uh, in the long run, 
you're going to be successful, uh, regardless that you, you can't predict exactly how and where and what that road's going to be. But I found that to be very, very true for everybody that I know. And so, uh, it, you clearly have that ethos. And so I'm, uh, I'm rooting for you, man. Uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And so, uh, if my audience here, or anybody listening, uh, wants to come join you for the ride, my guess is, uh, join the discord is the piece of advice, but, uh, why don't you tell them where they can find you and what they should do if they want to join the, uh, the grand archive community. Yeah. Um, you know, please check out our website, grandarchivetcg.com. Super simple. We have a, um, a button that says join our Discord server. Uh, feel free to join. You can ping me, at me. I don't really have any rules against that on there. Just uh, if I don't get back to your message, I'm sorry, but I love to talk to anybody who's interested in the game and tell them, like, you know, our philosophies, our ideas, like anything like, just like the conversation I'm having with Justin here. It's, um, you know, I, I like to never forget, like, where we come from. So, Join us on uh, Grand Archive Discord. You can also check out our Facebook, um, Instagram, uh, Twitter. We post uh, art updates regularly, and uh, we always share. We try to keep the updates super consistent and share what we are working on and showing people that um, you know where we are at in development. So, uh, just recently on Kickstarter, actually, if you uh, we had a another a bigger update last week and showing more of like our card samples. Uh, we're working on a card database as well. So you can get a sneak peek at that. So yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, this was a great conversation, Alan. I'm really uh, just, I've, I, I learned, uh, you know, a lot about the kind of modernization of the process here and, and, and the, the still the same universal principles that are underlying all this stuff. So it's, it's also helped me because uh, it's uh, the more I was able to dig into your story, the more of these principles that people can apply, I found. So it, it was a real pleasure. And I'm looking forward to doing a follow-up uh, and really seeing once you get this thing out the door, uh, all the extra lessons that you're going to learn along the way. So uh, hopefully yeah. I'll have you back again soon. Yeah, I hope to be back soon. Yeah, I hope to, you know, once I learn more things, hope to be able to share it and hopefully other people are going to see some success too. So best of luck to everybody. All right, I'll leave it there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to support the podcast, please rate, comment, and share on your favorite podcast platforms, such as iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever device you're listening on. Listener reviews and shares make a huge difference and help us grow this community and allow me to bring more amazing guests and insights to you. I've taken the insights from these interviews along with my 20 years of experience in the game industry and compressed it all into a book with the same title as this podcast, Think Like a Game Designer. In it, I give step-by-step instructions on how to apply the lessons from these great designers and bring your own games to life. If you think you might be interested, you can check out the book at thinklikeagamedesigner.com or wherever fine books are sold.